where no matter how bad things are, tomorrow is just a dream away. There's a um, great big beautiful tomorrow. <laughs> there is a great big beautiful tomorrow. To all who come to this happy podcast, welcome. I'm your ghost host, Matt Palmer, and I'm joined by my two happy haunts, John Grasso and Paul Jarzembowski. Welcome, guys. Thanks, Matt. Good to be here. It's so good to be here. I am so thrilled to be doing this right now. Um, We've been talking about this for, what is it, about seven, eight months? At least. I'm thinking about it probably even longer. We used to sit there and just text one another our memories and bits of news and information. And I feel like we dangled this idea out there of of what we wanted to do. I'm trying to remember who was the person that sort of brought the idea together. And John, I think you're it. So John, you want to fill us in and fill the audience in into what we were trying to do with this podcast. Sure. I think the three of us all individually wanted some outlet to talk about Disney um, at some point. Uh, And uh, I remember bringing it up to you, Matt, and you're like, I'm in, I want to do a podcast. And, uh, you know, COVID happened and we figured all three of us have been varying, varying ways away from the world or the land. And uh, we wanted to stoke nostalgia and bask in a little bit and uh, talk about our perspectives of Disney. What makes us emotional about it? What uh, makes us nostalgic? How do we plug into the history? So if nobody listens to this, I mean, we certainly hope you would, at least the three of us friends get to, to bond over something that brings us so much joy and happiness. Well, and I think that's also something we felt was somewhat we, we, we felt missing uh, from the conversations. A lot of times uh, there's conversations about what's new, what's controversial, um, you know, maybe even uh, Easter eggs and the latest thing on Disney Plus. But um, I think what we connect a lot with is the nostalgia and the memories, uh, the fact that there's something special, there's something familial, um, there's something that sparks a sense of joy uh, from our past and then infuses our present and something we look forward to in the future. And so talking about that um, and we thought that other people out there might also their connection with Disney might be more than just their subscription to a streaming service or the, the you know perhaps a vacation uh, that that you know maybe they had or will have but that they, they it's something that's embedded in in their their family their friends uh, perhaps a relationship something there's there's some connection and something that's that's intrinsic to their heart and so we wanted to talk to that. Yeah, bits of Disney take on a life of their own, right? I think there's something special for everybody. So, I mean, we're going to get into this in the main show, but for me, Illuminations, Reflections of Earth is in my very DNA. For others, it was kind of boring, but I think there's beauty in that. Yeah, I think one of the remarkable things about our friendship is that in the middle of the day, we can just send each other a message. And I feel like we almost like, instinctively know that each other might need a pick-me-up like a little jolt of disney news you know theme park news or whatever and invariably it like sends us on like a little path of like what about this what about that did you see this 
what do you think about this? And I, uh, I love that because like, I know as a 43 year old guy who is a father of three, my, I often find myself dreaming about um, what I can do for my kids, but also what I can do for myself too. And, you know, I, I, I never quite thought that I would be like a Disney nerd. Um, but I feel like my friendship with you all has brought that out more and more. Um, so you're to blame for this podcast. Oh, what an honor. So let's give a little background, I think, for the audience about where we each come from in terms of our own relationship with Disney, Disney parks, etc. How How did you come to this moment as a Disney fan? John, do you want to kind of kick it off? Sure, I'd love to. Um, yeah, I, uh, so I'm 28 years old, recently married, um, you know, living here in Connecticut. And I lived my whole life in this state. And Disney's been in my blood uh, from my grandparents on my father's side. Uh, they were at Disney World the first year it opened. They you know, drove out to Disneyland. Um, so they've been Disney people. And it was always promised both by my parents and grandparents that when I, you know, you know, when I started to become of sort of cognizant age, uh, uh, age of reason uh, in preschool and kindergarten that, you know, when I hit a certain age, my, me and my siblings would be able to go to Disney World. And uh, I always, I never knew what it was. I was just excited about it. But I ended up getting really sick when I was in kindergarten. I had a case of chicken pox that led to uh, Guillain-Barre syndrome, which is in the news this week. Uh, and, you know, couldn't walk and, and had trouble with reflexes and, and really with just about everything was hospitalized for a week and a half. And everybody that came into that hospital room to, sat, to, to sit with me, my mother, my father, my grandpa, Pat, who's no longer with us, said, soon as you learn how to walk again, we're going to Disney World. And that happened in April. And in, in December, my grandparents gifted us a trip to Disney. We got a big countdown calendar for March, March of whatever year, that 2000, 2001. And um, that was it. We counted down the days I was going to Disney. I counted down the, uh, the days uh, I was relearning how to walk and get my reflexes back. And I was finally ready. And we stayed at the boardwalk and it was newly opened. And we went to Epcot during the millennium celebration. And so Disney for me was always that, you know, for me, it was very much the carrot on the stick when I was you know, being wheeled into my last day of kindergarten, unable to walk and trying to figure out how to get my reflexes back and it going late into October and still not being able to, um, to respond if someone pushed me down. And so Disney was always that motivating factor. And that, you know, I was in kindergarten or first grade. So what did I know then? But now, now that's what it is. Um, you know, Disney is that retreat to a happy place. Um, you know, if I'm having a bad day, I play the Tapestry of Nations music. You know, if I'm having a really bad day, I plan my next trip. Uh, Disney's always come at critical moments in my life. Um, right, you know, right before high school graduation, right before college graduation. Uh, I went with my mother the year I got married, you know, for a couple of days um, because I had a conference there. And so we were able to have sort of a moment right as I was on the precipice of this major life change. So uh, Disney's been with me through it all. Uh, and it's always been that thing that I can retreat to that's happy, that's comforting, that's warm, that's inviting, that's inclusive. And I guess, you know, that's just, it'll always be there. It's been there. It was there for me in my darkest times. It's there for me in my happiest moments. That's really sweet. 
just the fact that you can connect that to like an illness when you were five and that it's like this source of inspiration and safety and like I think about like what Walt designed Disneyland for mm-hmm. you know the, the kids of all ages and the dreamers like you're exactly that uh, that which is a compliment of the highest order and uh, so I appreciate that but yeah I mean I uh, Disney brings me so much much authentic just unabashed joy and uh, I'll never you know I always I, I don't have kids yet uh, hopefully someday but I I remember the look on my grandparents' faces when we went there for the first time. Uh, I, I remember the look on my parents' faces and I, I could see it through my younger cousin's eyes when we've been with them. And that, you know, the sense of being a kid, the childlike wonder, the sense that, you know, not just everything is gonna be all right, but that, you know what, like there is good in this world and, and there's good and happiness and joy. And so returning to that sense of, maybe innocence is not the right word, but that sense of, of optimism. I think that's something that Disney World and for me particularly Epcot really does well. And, and, and that was Walt's vision. So you're right, kids of all ages. I mean, I remember my grandfather, you know, and I at the same, you know, enjoying the same rides and laughing and having the same stupid grin on our faces. And I was six or five, whatever it was. So it's, I, uh, that's awesome. one of the things that you mentioned that I, I connect with a lot is the, the fact that when you're having a bad day, for instance, you know, playing some of the music from the parks, um, you know, the, the, the music from Disney has always had such a, uh, a, a meaning for me as well. And it's just fun to, to kind of take yourself back to, again, that happy place. Um, and to, to know that, you know, to kind of imagine yourself either going through a certain ride or watching a certain fireworks show or, uh, you know, experiencing the sounds. Um, Disney is so much about the ambiance that it just, it fills you not only with what you see when you're walking down Main Street, but what you hear coming out of the, you know, the speakers that are along Main Street and what you smell, um, you know, as you pass by the popcorn cart or while you pass by as they're cooking, you know, baked Cinnamon goods. buns. Cinnamon buns mm. and and now there's a Starbucks on May Street, so you smell coffee as well. But you know, what it's a happy it's that, smell. But exactly. But it's that full sensory experience. And so when you're not there, um, you know that you can taste, taste, smell, hear, see something that takes you back to that place. There's something. There's something magical to the fact that because they've they've taken all the senses. And then when you can, then you can experience that thing, one of the five, you know, things that, you know, maybe it's the smell or maybe it's the sound or maybe it's the sight, um, you know, and I think that's part of, uh, of, of why it still connects with us when we're even not there. Oh, yeah. This is why I became friends with Paul. That little rant right there, <laughs> like his Disney evangelist rant. Um, the idea when, when I first connected with Paul was that he was like, he was a geek like me. He liked Star Wars. And then as I peeled back the layers, the Disney thing came in and like, he like went and, and like, sometimes I feel like you were actually a Disney, like you were related to Walt and the jars. Oh, absolutely. 
Paul is the human personification of Mickey Mouse. I mean, that's... While we're recording, I even have my ears on. So, you know, it, I guess that, I, you know, all in the family there. You're all in on the theming. You're a <laughs> cast member. You're an, you're an unofficial cast member. I'm quite an honor to be if I were. Oh, wouldn't that be something? But, like, in many ways, the way that when I began to talk with Paul, like, was like, he was like selling me on the idea it felt like he wasn't selling me but he was on this like this ideal like the disney difference i think you've used that phrase like a billion times in our conversations and like each time that we talk like like it, it you revealed more and more about what you noticed about your experiences and when did i i guess like a for you paul when did you start to notice those differences like you started when you were young right yeah i you know um so i was born in 1977 and my first trip was in 1979 um my second trip was in 1981 then 1983 and then we went to disneyland in 1986 and then we went back to disney world in 1989 Goals. so you know so as a child um, you know, before I even, you know, had true consciousness of the world around me, I was inundated with all of that at a young age. So, um, you know, my parents uh, took us there every, took me there, my, my mom and dad and I, we went every, every other year uh, to Disney. We stayed at the Contemporary, the Polynesian, uh, when those, when, when those resorts uh, kind of streamed out of our, our price point, uh, we started staying off property, but nonetheless, um, we, we were always in, in there. And part of it, part of the thing that I'm taken back to is um, I have like, for me, when I get off the plane in, at Orlando airport, to me, there is a smell of the smell of humidity and air conditioning and carpet um, that kind of all waxes together. And you know that smell when you get off and it's, it's, it's unique. Um, and then throughout, you know, when you walk into Disney, when you're at the hotels, there's this mixture, you know, you're on a water ride, you can smell the slightly bit of chlorine mixed with the boats that, you know, I don't know how old they are, but there's a smell to them mm. that they have. And that whisk of the smell and the touch and the feel. One of the earliest memories I have is uh, riding the front of the monorail um, back when that was a thing. Oh. And, you know, I remember getting off at the Contemporary and I for some odd reason, I remember the carpeting and the windows off to the side where you can see, uh, where you can see uh, Seven Seas Lagoon and the Magic Kingdom. There's these very narrow, but you look to one side of the monorail and you can see it. And I just remember the smell of the carpet, the, the look, the feel. So every time now that I get off at the Contemporary, I always look to that side and keep, and, and I think back to, I don't know if it was the trip from 79, 81, 83, can't remember when that memory came in, but I remember it and I sense it and I smell it. And that's part of the beauty of it. Um, and now we, um, uh, my wife, Sarah, and I, first of all, we honeymooned in Disney World. Um, so now it has a, a connection to uh, to our marriage. And then um, 
a couple years after that, we bought into the Disney Vacation Club, uh, which basically means that now um, I go there at least two, sometimes three, sometimes four times a year. Um, now, ever for the last decade, we've been going, as I said, on an average of two, three, four times a year uh, since then. And so um, sometimes when we leave the parks, they give us the survey. They ask you, how many times have you been to Disney? And I've, I kind of at that point just say I've, I've lost count. Um, so I'm kind of got an interesting, my, my, I've, I think my story is one of immersion, so much so that now I literally go as often as I can so I can immerse myself in it. Um, even around our house, um, I decorate different rooms of my house um, so that I have a feeling it, it evokes a certain part of the parks. Um, you know, uh, you know, the master bath is the Polynesian. Uh, you know, uh, we've got Epcot in our uh, in our living room. So there's a it's just different ambiances and different evoking that I love sitting in that, reminding myself of that because that plays such a major part of my story. Um, and I keep wanting to go back. People say, "Are you sick of it yet?" And I'm like, "Maybe, maybe around, maybe 80 times from now, maybe I will." But until then, no, nah, I'm not anywhere close to that. Let me ask you this before I get into my background. Um, did you guys go to regional amusement parks growing up or was it only Disney? Um, no, we did. We went to uh, the Six Flags Park. We went to Kings Island and Cedar mm. Point. Um, so yeah, we did do, we, we, um, we at one point were a camping family. So we had a motor home and stuff like that. And so we would take trips to different uh, different spots and theme parks were along the way. I wouldn't say we went to everything, we did, we, I, but we went to the kind of the big he heavy hitters, um, you know, SeaWorld, uh, Universal, um, as I said, Kings Island and Cedar Point as well in the Six Flags parks. How about you, John? We, um, we went to, yeah, I mean, not really. Uh, we found our way down. Uh, I always had the chance to go places. I mean, I went to Lake Compounds here in Connecticut, which is hardly, you know, it's, I think it's the oldest amusement park in New England. Um, and uh, I've been to Six Flags Great Adventure. And it's not for lack of want. Um, when I went, uh, Disney World was my first ever amusement park. And so pretty much everything after that was kind of like, ah, no, it's all right, mom, save your money. We'll, we'll go to Disney in a couple of years. I don't need to go. Um, that's not to say that we didn't have fun other places like in Universal and, you know, we had a, a, you know, we always had the county or the parish fair to go to and you'd go on the rides and be like, yeah, if I close my eyes and really, really hard, I can <laughs> pretend maybe I'm on Big Thunder Mountain as I'm, you know, riding this three square foot roller coaster in yeah. the church parking lot. But yeah, not really. What about you, Matt? See, I grew up with the regional park experience um i would go to you know growing up in the dc area there were like two main amusement parks that we could access one was it was called wild world back in the day now it's a six flags park um and wild world at one point had a pirate ride where they just blatantly ripped off uh, having uh yo-ho a pirate's life for me playing while you're riding it don't know how they weren't sued into oblivion by the Disney Corporation at the time. Um, but there's still like videos you can look up on YouTube of, of that ride uh, with that song playing. That's wild. Um, 
so I grew up with that and I grew up with King's Dominion, which was King's Island's sister park, but I didn't grow up with like the theme park experience. My parents always kind of dangled the Disney uh, thing around, but never, it was never a reality. Um, I always experienced it from the TV. So like I grew up with the like 25th anniversary special of Disneyland. Uh, I think like Tony Danza was the host or something like that. <laughs> And uh, Woody Harrelson, uh, as his character in Cheers, like recounted meeting the love of his life going on the haunted mansion when he was a kid, that kind of thing. Like, so like the Disney produced mythology around the parks was what I experienced as a kid. And then finally, when I was 14 years old, I was in uh, my freshman year of high school and the music program that I was a part of, I was a really bad singer, but I was in the chorus and the music program had a yearly trip. And the trip that year was to Orlando. And we had a choice between um, the recently opened Universal and going to a Disney park. So each of us could choose. Um, And I chose the Magic Kingdom because that was the most stereotypical thing imaginable in 1990, 1992, you know, like, and I had, outside of those TV viewings, that was the only thing that I had. So like in the old clips of, of Walt Disney doing the introductions of the rides, those kinds of things, that was my Disney prep. So like I went to the park when I was 14 years old and it was way before the YouTube culture. So um, I remember getting on Space Mountain probably 20 times in a row. Like there was no line, nothing. It was in the middle of April and I remember just going from ride to ride and not really having to wait at any point. It was kind of shocking to me, but there were also things where I walked away at the end of the day and I was like, did I do that? Or did I, did I experience that? And I went back to my sister and I made this promise. One day I'm going to take you to Disney world. Well, I am 43 years old and she is 39 years old and I have not taken her to Disney world. So uh, I've now put it out into the world. Um, and I've been to, uh, it, the funny part is, is I've been to Disney World since. I went um, and experienced Disneyland several times with my brother in my late 20s. And then finally circled back to Disney World and Epcot with Paul one evening after a, a work conference and like paid that $150 for four hours of joy. Yeah. <laughs> literally with like, no prep whatsoever i think like you guys were like we're going to disney you want to go and i was like yes oh and i had to call my wife and say like hey are you okay with this <laughs> and yet it was on the fourth of july so you got the yeah. best fireworks show you could imaginable and i was no. just watching that in my facebook memories the other day oh like, i love that you know i was at that conference folks you could have invited me oops but you, but you didn't you know were- me yet well, that, I did know you. I met you, you and I had just really connected. Yeah, we had like emailed and like, like oh yeah, I called at one you. another for yeah. years. But like, like we had breakfast. I think like the day before, and you were talking about that full week you had planned and how like how excited you were. I was hyped. And yeah, you were. Like I was like, oh, I'm jealous of that dude because <laughs> I was not sure at that point that I was going to be able to do this. And then when Paul and Sarah were like, hey we're going over to Epcot. You doing this? 
and I was like, just drop everything and, you know, like deal with the, uh, the money, the money problems after. Oh yeah. It was like, get me on fast track. Um, and all of that stuff was like, like all it did was fuel me to, to go back with my kids. So two years ago, we did a whole, whole family vacation. Like, you know, at the time we had two, we now have three. And then we went with my in-laws during that, during that time. And we did this, like with my kids, we did this whole prep of like me playing whenever they were in the car, we would play like Disney music, like the Disney park music. And so my daughter had mapped out the haunted mansion in her mind so that when she got there, she was like, all of a sudden, like, wow, look at that. Look at that. You know, like it like suddenly like leapt from Spotify into her brain. Oh. Like right into her eyeballs. She was just like taken aback. And now they, they ask me probably once a week, when are we going back to Disney World? Could you blame them? No, no. I, I, I did not take it for granted because I didn't do it as a kid. Like I, I never had that family moment like with all my, like my siblings and my parents. So like to do it with my, my kids, I mean, if you looked at my like social media that week, I had nonstop photos of my children, bad photos, good photos, everything in between. And like, I created a collage of all the bad photos we had with the characters. And, uh, you know, my daughter's an introvert and she, at the end of the week, she was like, no more photos for a while. Okay. <laughs> but I wouldn't trade any of that for anything in the world. Um, my wife said to me recently, she said, uh, Hey, like, you talk about Disney World every day now. I was like, do I really? She goes, yes, you do. So Paul, Lucky the evangelist, her. has have officially converted me. So when, my question to you, Matt, is um, so you've, you didn't do it as much when you were younger. Did, did you have, I mean, obviously, you've obviously since grown to appreciate it. But did the, um, I mean, the fact that you didn't have it, did you have a spark in there you feel that was one there or was spark? one little spark? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Imagination. Um, my, um, I think with me, my, um, my mindset has always been uh, being a creative guy. I was an artist when I was a kid. So like Disney for me was like seeing the magic of artistry being like projected up on a screen. Like I was that kind of fanboy. I was, well, people were talking about the music back in the nineties. I was talking about the specific artists that I was following and the guys that design like Gaston and, and Scar. And for me, like that was my ticket into Disney was mm one day I imagined I would be out there at like the Disney animation studios rubbing elbows and trying to, trying to create the next great character. Um, and now um, it, it wasn't like a, like a matter of like, did I want to work at Disney or did I want to work at a Disney park? I didn't think of that, but I thought about wanting to be about the, the periphery of it. Something that like eventually would be in a, on a ride. Um, something that would spark enough imagination or uh, magic that it would be turned into a ride. 
And now I look at my daughter and she's the same thing. She will draw all day long, creating worlds. And, you know, that was the one thing I focused on a little bit at Disney was getting her exposed to seeing a female artist that could inspire her to do it as well. They had the, uh, one of the art of Disney stores at Disney Springs. We were walking around there and like they were live drawing. They were animating something at that moment. And I like the, one of my favorite moments is just picking her up to look and say like, this is something you can do. You can dream and do this. And you're talented enough to, to eventually chase that. So um, I might be projecting my own personal dreams onto my daughter, but um, she loves it too. So that, I, I think that spark the like creative spark was in me. Uh, it's only been in the last couple of years where like I've hooked on to like the, the Disney difference kind of thing. Um, that motto of Walt imagining something greater mm. uh, and always changing. I love that. I love that. Like there's a flexibility built into these parks, um, into these experiences that it's always evolving, always changing. So I like that, that idea of always looking for something new and something different. So yeah, there was a spark there. It was just a little different, I think, than everybody else's. Well, and I think that we've, what's interesting is that, because Disney as a company as uh, uh, has both their animation division, they've got movies, they've got their sports, they've got um, their various forms of entertainment. Um, uh, they've even got now some some various social causes that they're engaged in, especially some of their their nature programming that's really focusing on ecological issues. So Disney's very diverse, and the parks are, are really just one dimension of that. Although they are, what's I think, and again, what I think is where we're going to really focus in this podcast is. Um, it's the it's the sanctity of place um, yes. that where the parks are unique from everything else is that it really is this happy place um, and that physicality of of a destination it's that um, it's something that that again uh, takes on all the senses um, that you could experience but you have to but you have to you have to go somewhere or you have to experience something to really do that. It's not just watching a movie and it's not just hearing music or seeing a, or, or, you know, going to a sporting event, um, watching the news or the, or the channel that, you know, or, or the streaming service that Disney has. It, it's, it's, it's more, it's, it's all of it. Yeah. Which one of among us does not get goosebumps or teary eyed when you cross that threshold of here you leave today and enter the world of yesterday, tomorrow and fantasy. I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it. It's like you, this physical reality this, of joy, of happiness, of love, of family time, memories, nostalgia. I mean, I'm a huge Disney fan. I love, you know, I, I watch the latest stuff on Disney plus you know, I have I, the most frequented Sirius XM channel I have is the Disney channel listening to, you know, I, Belt Gaston on the way to work more times than I care to admit, uh, but it's that physical reality, right, of of you of crossing that threshold, crossing that threshold under the train station, and you know appearing in the oh. courtyard of Main Street, wherever park you are, uh, and looking down and seeing the castle and realizing you're you're in a very different place and in a very sacred might not be the right word, but in a place where there's um, 
there's so much possibility for all of the emotions that we hold dear in a very difficult world, in a world that grinds you up and beats you down. You walk through that gate and you could leave all of that behind for as long as you're there. One of the things that amazes me about Disney is how open they are to being filmed um, in the internet age. Um, for as expensive as a Disney experience is, um, you have these, like, we live in a generation where people are vlogging and somebody can vlog an entire ride the day it comes out, the day it, it debuts, and it's out there for the world to see and, and not necessarily fully experience, like, you know, like, say it has a hill or something like that, that dip in the stomach, right. that, that'll never be replicated. But the fact that they're open to all rides being filmed, um, like, sort of puts Disney in everyone's, like, potentially It's in accessible. Yeah. Yes. There's an accessibility that they've allowed. But that accessibility, though, gives it's a strange thing. It's a gamble because, um, I mean, they're kind of in a way by having you film it and then show it to your friends, your friends who didn't pay the admission that $150 to go for a night in Epcot don't, they didn't pay it, but they're still getting to watch it. But it's something about it teases you to a point where you say, I want to then be there. I want oh, to yeah. experience that hill. I want to experience, I, again, I want to smell it. I want to feel it. I want to get the sensation. It, it draws you in. So it's a risk, but it pays off. You think about all those vloggers uh, that for four hours say, well, we're riding the Skyliner. We're walking Epcot. We're doing no rides. We're just, we're walking around. We're experiencing the park. I mean, it's a wonderful substitute, but for me, I always find myself with a very itchy trigger finger after those videos going, oh, come on. I think if I move this and if I, you know, if I, if I do this, if I don't go on this work trip, I might be able to squeeze in a couple of days hmm. and then, you know, get to come back to reality. But I think it's a great selling point, but it's radical because Universal and many others don't allow you to film really anything. I mean, Disney lets cast members film previews, which is right. remarkable. I looked at Universal the other, a couple weeks ago when they opened up their new coaster mm -hmm. and everybody has to put their phones in a locker before they ever board the, the ride. And I, I'm just flabbergasted by that. Like where, you know, a park 15 minutes away is allowing people to upload the Mickey's Runaway Railway videos like all of a sudden there are 10 versions of that video up by 9 45 um 45 minutes after the park opened and that that kind of thing is like it like like there, it's one thing to like sort of open yourself up but like when i also look look at all the bloggers and everything we can be inundated with this, these types of things and like like paul said i, I really latch on to that the actual touch and the feel the experience like no matter how many videos you can scroll and and see different things it's still never quite the same as the swoosh in the in the like the bucket you know like the little pulls that like just the camera will never pick up and like somebody's whoa just won't do it justice you know no matter how many times i saw the snow white roller coaster the uh, seven dwarfs mine train on youtube 
nothing prepared me for the rock and the sway. Mm. That kind of thing is just nothing. It, it, it nothing on a video could prepare you for that little just touch um, that changes also, the experience. I also think it's also about people too. I mean, one thing we do with many of these videos is we watch them by ourselves or, or maybe it was just one other or two other, you know, members of our family. And I, and I, I find myself I'm about to say this because I'm a little bit of an introvert, but there is something also very special about the fact that you are experiencing it with a crowd yeah. and, and the word crowd is perhaps the, a, a, an underestimation of what really goes on there. Uh, there's a lot of people that are doing this with you at the same time. So part of the experience also is not just the, the sensation of a ride or the smell or the taste or the sight that you see, but also the fact that you're going through those senses with thousands of other people simultaneously. Yep. And they're right there. And that sense of coming together, um, a communal experience of, of experiencing that. Um, I mean, even when you see the fireworks at night, you're seeing all the, you, it's not just watching the fireworks, but, but hearing the ooh and the ah, and then the applause and, and, and the, you know, hearing, hearing a child down the way, you know, seeing her fireworks for maybe the first time and, 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 and that joy that she's eliciting because of that, that's all part of it too. And again, you can kind of record some of it, but there's something about the physicality of being near someone that really makes it even more special that you don't get from that. And again, it's why that place. So it's not just, again, it's not just the, the stuff of the place, it's the people in the place that makes it so memorable. Oh yeah, I, I agree. I mean, there's, there's two of my favorite things at Disney are one watching the fireworks and one waking up. But I love watching the fireworks because you hear a little boy or a little girl go, Moana, you know, during, you know, or, or uh, you know, like, I, I saw, you know, it's like Merida and they're pointing to the castle and they're getting all animated. And I love being a part of that um, crowd because even if, I mean, you're never going to talk to most of these people, although I do get into the craziest little interactions with people at Disney, um, it just ends up happening. But even though you may never hear or talk to or even learn the names of these people, but you know, everyone around you watching these fireworks, joining you on Big Thunder Mountain Railroad, uh, you know, getting on the bus in the morning to the, you know, to Epcot or whatever are, you know, they all have their story. They all have their special something that they're looking forward to today. They all have their like, you know, they're all going to have that magic moment, you know, whether it's, you know, the look of uh, on their child's face or whether it's something that they've connected with that they didn't even know they had. So I like my favorite thing to do. And I've talked to Paul about this and I've mentioned it to you, Matt, as well. Um, I'm a morning person, always have been. I love sitting in the hotel lobby, wherever I'm staying, um, with a cup of coffee and whatever little breakfast and watching people's vacation mornings start. I love it. Not in like a voyeuristic or creepy way. I just love, <laughs> sometimes I'm not, even, I'm not even paying attention. Sometimes I'm reading or I'm scrolling or I'm checking my fast passes, rest in peace for the day. Um, uh, and you hear people and you see people and they're, they're, they're waking up and there's that like that look of excitement of another Disney day, unless they're headed towards Magical Express and you kind of avert your gaze because you know you're going to be one of those people at some point. Um, I just love that, like the promise of another day at Disney, mm -hmm. the promise of 
another day full of memories and emotions and, you know, things that people will be able to plug into in their dark or their happy moments again, you know, things that will be food and fuel for them in life. Um, I don't mean to be overly melodramatic, but I just absolutely love it. Paul did all this prep work for me, like mentally preparing me for like what a week of Disney would be and how tired your legs were, are at the end of the day. And like, like I, nothing, like my kids don't fall asleep usually like in the middle of the day, like they just sort of fade out at like eight thirty nine o'clock at night. But each night we would get on the magical express and like, um, we would go back to the hotel and both children would pass out in my arms. Like sometimes like we would pass them around oh. and like, as we got to like, as we got to our hotel and then like, I'd get back and like have those feet aches that like, it was in my head that like Paul told me your feet are going to ache, your legs are going to ache. And like, I just remember like cracking my toenail, my, uh, my toe knuckles they were all just like so stiff and then at the end of the day i was just like all right let's do this and like go to bed and i'd wake up and i'd be like all right let's get these legs ready and like <laughs> go right back in like there was something like something invigorating about the pain um, about that like each day started with like a little bit of disney hangover mm. um and I look at that and I kind of chase that feeling like on most days. I know I switched jobs like at about two weeks after uh, the Disney trip. And one of the things that like I realized was how much I was taking the experience in with my, uh, my interview uh, there. And like actually in the first couple of weeks that I was there, I was, all of a sudden I was turning into Paul. Like I was like, what you got to do is you got to help wayfind people like you got to point them in this direction. You got to anticipate their needs. And I'm like, what happened to me? Like, was it that transformative of a week? Um, but like, yeah, it like literally changed my perspective on how I view service and, and, and my own job, how I approach, like how I carry myself daily. Um, I, I was surprised at how transformative that, that whole week was for me change my perspective on how I how I look at other people hmm. yeah I often wonder how much of uh who I am is because of those trips to Disney is how much of my you know optimism my morning personness my uh, maybe insufferable optimism or positive outlook comes from from that um that transformation I don't know. I mean, every night they, you know, they talk about, you know, a dream come true. And, you know, um, I, you know, I think it does kind of put you in a spot. Um, and it depends on where you are. I mean, were you, you know, like Matt, you were talking about the fact that, you know, you were close to a job transition during that time. So we think about those things, perhaps while we're watching the fireworks or while, you know, we hear, you know, you know, all those, those words. Um, or perhaps we're transported back in time because you know a memory we had, or uh, you know we might just just enjoy the, the 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 fact that they immerse you. You know, like whether you're in the Pacific Northwest or Hawaii or 
you know, the, you know, if you're in one of the countries in, in Epcot or the future, you know, and so you're kind of, you're transported and therefore, you know, you're kind of your outlook, you know, you go, I don't know, you, you, you kind of mirror that experience or you kind of mesh that experience with what you're going through in your life. I, I think it does because I think there is something it, it Disney's able to do that. Um, you know, now it's not to say that everyone's Disney trip is going to be fantastic. Um, I mean, there's going to be things that go wrong. I don't think I've had a dis. I mean, I've gone so many times and I don't think there's been a trip where everything has gone perfectly as planned. Um, there is always something. Um, it, 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 it rains one day when you didn't want it to. Um, you're waiting in line way too long. The food that you were looking forward to is just, you know, uh, you know, you're, you learn bad news about the real world while you're sitting in, you know, in your hotel one night and it kind of flavors the rest of that. I mean, so there are things that happen uh, that can cause, um, so I'm not saying that every Disney experience is perfection, you know, but, um, but I think that there's always, like you said, John, as you look at each day, there's the promise that perhaps the next day uh, is something that's worth getting up for. And I think that there is something to wow. that. Uh, and so I think that there, that, I think that it is that, except the day, of course, you wake up and uh, it's the day after you return from Disney, then of course, that tomorrow is not so thrilling. <laughs> but, it's my least favorite day. It is the least favorite day, but then you begin starting to think about the next time you'll go. And so that tomorrow might be a couple tomorrows in the future, but nonetheless, you're, you're thinking about it. I think that's probably the perfect way to kind of wrap this first episode up. Um, you kind of really did set the tone there, Paul. Um, as we look forward to future episodes, um, what are some of the things that you all are, um, are looking forward to talking about? I'd love to, I mean, there's specific things. I mean, we talked a little bit about it today, um, kind of going a little bit deeper with some of the particular rides that maybe we, you know, we've enjoyed. Uh, what they say to us, what experiences we've had. Um, you know, I'd like to kind of go a little deeper and, 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 you know, explore a particular land or a particular resort or a particular just aspect and just go a little deeper on that. I think that would be something that we could probably, because um, as, as you heard from my story, you know, I, I get full on in, I immerse myself in that. So I'd like to immerse myself for an hour in a conversation with the two of you on maybe one of those things. That's what I'd like to do. That sounds good to me. Yeah, I agree. I want to, you know, each of us has a different or many, many different things that strike us. Some that are, some are in common and some that are, are unique to us. And, you know, I, I want to explore what, why is it, why does Tapestry of Nations resonate with me? Why does, you know, uh, the Polynesian have a dedicated space in Paul's house? You know, <laughs> Why did you use the Haunted Mansion to introduce us? You know, uh, what about these in our, you know, what can we not learn, but what can we perhaps evoke in others through our experience about these particular things? Why do they resonate with us? They're special to us. And so I'm sure they're special to others. So eventually too, it'd be fun to hear from other people about what their special Disney thing is. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, I think, I think, and then maybe just a general discussion about, about the way we see the parks unfolding now. Maybe we, we don't need to go into news. I don't think that's helpful. Uh, you know, so many other podcasts do that, but the way we see things, you know, as they're developing now, um, you know, the, the landscape of, of Disney and the online discussions, I think that it, we could provide our own voice into the pantheon of voices talking about it. Yeah, I, I feel like where this podcast can really take off is tapping into a sense of joy, um, a sense of wonder. I know that it's three, um, three guys sitting around talking. And uh, this is not your typical um, internet consumption because a lot of it is fueled by um, anger and, and, and clickbait. Um, and I think for us, it comes from a, a sense of purity, like a, a sense of um, what's possible. And um, well, and I also, uh, oh, go ahead, Paul. Yeah, no, and I also am thinking that the people who might be listening they're probably themselves filled with a little bit of anticipation because maybe if you're listening, maybe there's a Disney trip around the corner um, that, you know, and so you're looking forward to it. Or maybe there's something, maybe there's a particular memory that you've just been thinking about of your your, your parents, your grandparents, your family, your children. Um, and it's just, it's just caused you great joy to think, you know, of what you have experienced or again, the joy of what's about to come and so it, I think that that joy that we're, we'd hopefully like to share is something that hopefully that people who are listening, I think are actually are, uh, they, themse they themselves are, are, are partakers of that joy. They're, or they're, they're, they're experiencing it too. And I'd love to hear those stories as well. You know, my, my daughter has told me, even though I said earlier that she was an artist, um, she has told me on several occasions that she wants to be an Imagineer. Mm. Um, so the fact that um, I have a little dreamer in the house, dreaming of, of ideas to make the experience of the next generation better. I think for me, that like keeps me going for this and gives me lots of hope for, for what we can accomplish with this. Um, a sense of good um, can, can, be brought, can be brought into this. And I, I feel like it's okay to feel joy and to appreciate what everybody brings to the table. Um, Cause I think that's at its heart, what Disney does really well is it brings all sorts of walks of life. Um, and together we all experience as humans, um, a bit of joy, uh, a, a couple of long lines, but ultimately memories. So um, I think that'll wrap it up for our first edition of this happy podcast. We are uh, so glad that everyone joined us and uh, we look forward to hearing from you all. And uh, eventually when we get all the information, we wanna tell you to click subscribe and, uh, and uh, make sure that you're gonna comment and we'll, uh, we'll have all the outlets for you to where you can listen to us and uh, what, uh, how you can participate in the show as well. So um, this is Matt Palmer signing off with John Grasso and Paul Jarsimbowski and uh, as Paul said earlier, there's a great big beautiful tomorrow out there. Enjoy.